The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's, let's pray one more time together. Well, Lord, you know that Sam just stole a lot of my prayer. I was going to pray right now. And... Uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that uh, we're not playing games, but your spirit is working. And, and God, my longing for myself, my family, this, this church family, is that we would, in all those other identities and all those other places, have a deeper and truer identity in Jesus that would bring life and vitality and hope and joy to all those other places. So would you come now? Come now by your Spirit. Lord, we come every week, and we just keep asking you to do the same thing. Through your Word, and by your Spirit, encourage us, and exhort us, comfort us, and convict us, that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus, that we might have deeper fellowship with Him, that we might be more convinced of our identity in Him. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in a couple of uh, weeks, we're going to start a series on who we are kind of corporately as a church and what we're called to do together. And so I thought it'd be helpful for these two quick weeks to get our hearts ready to look at our corporate identity and calling to kind of reorient for these two weeks on our kind of individual identity in calling as believers in Jesus. Uh, we're, we're halfway through Genesis exactly, and we plan to pick that up next late January or so. Um, but for now, we're going to spend this fall kind of walking together towards what it means to be believers gathered together in a body. And for these two weeks, what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian? And so the word identity is a, is a big concept in the world that we live in today. Uh, it's the idea of what is most deeply true about you as a human being. That, that's kind of the idea of the word identity. And in a lot of ways, the world wants you to think that's a new concept. It's this undiscovered territory. But what we're going to see is that the Bible's been talking about it for a long, long time. And the pressures of this world would have you need to change your identity about every three years, right? You have to rediscover yourself, right? You have to re-get to know yourself. And I know that what the world would have us do, what I'm tempted to do, what's maybe easiest to do, 
is to look inside of ourselves and try to define ourselves. Right? That's, that's the message you're constantly getting. Who are you really? What's really going on inside of you, Dave? How have you changed? How do you need the world to recognize all that change? And so we look and we define ourselves by some attribute about us. You can pick whatever set of attributes you want. Some list of achievements that we've accomplished either at home or maybe in our profession. Some social standard of how the the world wants to measure us and weigh us out. How people think of us or even just our vague existential view of ourselves, where we are, what we're doing. In other words, we define reality by looking inside of ourselves And what that does is it makes us imagine that everything is orbiting around us. Doesn't it? I mean, don't, don't, if you just think about kind of your daily way you walk through life, isn't a lot of it kind of orbiting around you (laughs) and how everything's relating to you? And those voices are loud and they're demanding and they put burdens on us that we can't bear. And oftentimes our identities that we're finding in here put burdens on other people that they can't bear. Right? Like your, your spouse was never meant to be the one that could meet all your needs. Never meant to be the one that could be your, your God that supplied all that you could have. Your, your children can't bear the weight of your expectations of living vicariously through them and keeping up with all the other kids. Right? Your, your job is never going to be as fulfilling as you would hope that it would be. And those voices are, are loud. And it brings a need for lots of effort, but I think very, very little lasting peace. Very little lasting peace. And so often the world and the church just live in this burdened, weary, restless angry, bitter, anxious, and sometimes even hopeless existence because we spend all of our time looking in us and then after we get done looking in us for a while, then what we finally do is we look around us and go, what's everyone thinking about me? What's everyone perceiving about me? And I I just want more for us than that. I want more for you than that. I want more for us than the restless worn out, defeated, anxious, bitter hamster wheel of the world revolving around us. The more me-focused I am, the more my world gets very small and very much like a prison of my own making, of my own heart. And I want us to walk out of that self-made prison and into the freedom of Jesus. So I just want to start. We're going to be in Colossians 3. But there's some things in Colossians 1 and 2, and I'm just going to read from chapter 1, that that Paul really wants this church in Colossians to know, so that before he talks about, here's who you are in Jesus, he's going to say, first let's remember who Jesus is. Let's remember who he is. So the first thing Colossians wants us to remember in the midst of the struggles and strife and changing identities of today is that Jesus is Lord over all who creates and sustains everything. So listen to Colossians 1, 15 to 17. It says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven 
and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. In other words, this world is made by Him and for Him, which means it's all about Him. And so that in all of your work, in your parenting, and your striving, it should be a very freeing thing to know, it's not really about me. How would that change your, your conflicts in your workplace or in your marriage or the, the angst you feel about the, the mistakes or the activities your kids need to be in? Like, how would it change? You're just like, Jesus created it all. He, he sustains it all. He, he rules over it all. It's all from Him and through Him, and it's all for Him. It's not about me. Wouldn't that just lower the anxiety a bit, lower the, the pressure a bit? So Paul wants us to know Jesus is Lord over all who creates and sustains everything. It's all about Him. And amazingly, right after this, the second thing Colossians wants us to remember and Paul wants us to remember in the midst of the struggles and the strife and the changing identities of today is that the all-powerful Lord of the universe is also the crucified, reconciling, ransoming Savior. This comes right after those verses. He is the head of the body, the church. The beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This king, this Lord who reigns over all things, supreme over all things, preeminent, first place, ruler, sovereign, the way he's going to bring himself glory is he's going to come and he's going to ransom a people by dying a criminal's death on the cross. He's going to run after and throw that robe on you and put that ring on you and bring himself glory as being the supreme sovereign savior of the universe. Like that's who you are in light of who he is. Right, the story of, of the one who goes after that lost sheep, right? That's not a story just about all the, the outcasts way, way off the highways and the byways. That's a story about how every one of us came to salvation. Jesus came and he found us and he brought us in, right? The, the, oh, just last night, just last night, right? We were on a walk and somewhere along the walk, our little one, Quinn, she fell asleep. And somewhere when she fell asleep, she dropped one of her dolls, and the worst thing that happens when that happens is you don't realize it until you get home. And so we looked at each other and went, oh no, right? And Stone and I got in the car about 20 minutes before it's about to be a thunderstorm. And we're driving Farmington, right? People are probably like, what are they doing? We're going slow and then fast and slow and fast. And we found the doll, right? And that, yeah, every parent cheers. And that is what God has done. He has come he has pursued us with goodness and mercy. He has run after us. And in all his sovereign creating and sustaining, he said, you're mine, I'm bringing you home. You're not going to stay lost, I'm bringing you home. So in every situation and in every circumstance, if you're trusting in Jesus, if you're trusting in him, the thing most true in every place, at every time, is that Jesus reigns and Jesus redeems. And in his reign... He has redeemed you. 
And that reign and redemption becomes not only what is most important in the whole story of the whole universe and every time and every place, but what is most important in your life today and tomorrow and all the way into eternity. So let's look at it. Let's look at it. Point number one, you have died with Christ. Now you might be saying, Dave, you missed the first two verses. So what we're going to do is we're going to end today in verses one and two briefly and begin with them next week. So here's why. You see a four at the beginning of verse three and what that four, right, my father-in-law, pastor, he always said these things, what that four is there for is to tell us the reason the thing before it came. So verses one and two are the, the action that Paul wants the believers in Colossae to take. In verses three to four is the identity, the reality, the deepest truth about why they should act that way. And the basic logic of verses 1 to 4 is, you are in Christ, so go live with Christ. This is who you are, so go be who you are. This is all that you are in Him, so go start walking in all that you are in Him and start thinking about it. And so today, we're going to spend most of our time together thinking about who we are in the next week We'll think about how that changes us. So just a a quick word to two groups of people. First group, if you're here and you're trusting in the death for your sins and resurrection to new life of Jesus on your behalf, then I really want you to take to heart now at the beginning that what I'm going to say is what is most deeply true about you, whether you've been on a run of awesomeness in your Christian life or awfulness. This is more true than your successes. It's more true than your failures. This is what is most true about you if you're trusting in Jesus Christ. In second group, if you're, not, if you're here and you're not trusting in Jesus, then I'm praying as you listen in, you'll see this as a kind of invitation into an identity that is ultimate and firm and brings a joy in God that cannot be replicated in any of the identities the world is telling you you need to figure out. This can be most true of you, and you can figure out everything else later. (laughs) This can be most foundational about you, and you can sort out all the rest later. So this, this text is speaking of our doctrine of the union with Christ. That is, that by faith in Jesus, by believing in him, we're united to his death for sin, and we're united to his resurrection life, and therefore, the Father, when he looks at us, sees us exactly as he sees Jesus. It's the doctrine of the union with Christ. Let's dive in. Really good news right here at the beginning of verse 3a. You have died. (laughs) So we are those who have died in Christ. So now we've got to talk about what does that mean? What does it mean to, to die in Christ, to be dead with Christ? Let's go to a couple other passages to help us understand this. Look First look at Colossians 2. Verses 11 to 12, probably just a page over in your Bible. Colossians 2, read part of verse 11 and part of verse 12. It says, You are putting off the body of flesh, that's the old sinful man, having been buried with Jesus in baptism. And so part of what this means is the old body of flesh and sin were buried with Jesus. So when we do baptisms up here, we're symbolizing that when we go under the water, that that old sinful man is dead. He's gone. And when that person comes up, it's not the same person anymore. 
That's what we're symbolizing, that there's, there's new life. That old sinful man was buried with all of his sin and all of his guilt and all of his shame. It's, it's gone. It's buried. So let's look at one more passage together. Romans 6, verses 4, 6, and then verses 10 to 11. I'm going to skip around a little bit to show you what I want to show you here. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 6. It says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Same concept. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verses 10 to 11, for the death he died to sin, he died once for all, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. In other words, dying with Christ brings us a new kind of life. And and I just want to say, we don't think about this enough. (laughs) We don't think about our identity in Jesus enough. We don't think about the fact that we, that old man, that old person, all the sin, all the shame, all the brokenness, that old person, they're dead. That's That's not just a phrase. It's not just an illustration. They're dead. They're dead and buried with Jesus Christ. That old Dave is dead. Say what you want about old Dave. I don't like him either very much. But he's dead. He's been crucified with Christ. You have to believe it and live in light of it. It has to become second nature and muscle memory to go, that's not who I am. The person is dead. Dying with Christ brings us life. It's the death of our old self that was guilty and alienated from God and enslaved to sin as our master. That person is dead. Jesus died the death for all who would trust him, and he died it once for all. And by faith, his death counts for my death for sin. And even more than that, his death is my death. The death of my old self. The death of my old sinful, guilty, shame-filled self. So here's three reasons why that really matters to to think about that, to believe that, to, to have that be at the core of our being. Reason number one, the death was once for all. <laughs> Good news. Once for all, death for sins. So when guilt and shame seeks to spin you into patterns of hopelessness, and guilt and shame comes and you can't overcome it, so you start to act out in those same old sinful patterns to kind of numb the pain, or when sin and shame comes and speaks condemnation over you, you can say truthfully, no, that's not me. That guy's dead. That gal's dead. (laughs) That person doesn't live anymore. They're dead to sin. They're buried. The guilt and shame of sin have no hold on us. We have been crucified with Christ. So shame and guilt and sin are not our masters anymore. We don't have to stay trapped in the prison of shame We're free in our death with Christ to consider our old selves dead and gone and buried. Here's why this matters. All my my kids have done this, um, but one of them did it recently, and it's just such an illustration of what we all do, right? So you get in trouble, you sin, right? That's all of us. That's not just kids. But all my kids have done this thing where once in a while when they just feel overwhelmed by the sin and the shame, right, they just disappear. Where are you? Are you? And eventually, they are in some corner of a closet. They are deeply contorted in some place underneath a bed, right? And they're normally just 
hiding. Right? And, and often I'll say, well, what's going on? I'm bad. Right? And, and in their mind, not only are they bad, but that's how, that's how I'm viewing them. Right? They're, they're in some way hiding from me and hiding from the shame that the, the confrontation is going to bring. But every parent in here, in your better moments, right, knows that all you want to do is just hear, I'm sorry, you just want to hug them, right? Right? I would come out from under there. I can't fit under there, but would you come out <laughs> so I can hug you? I, I love you. Let's, let's talk about this. And that's what sin does to us. Right? That's what happens when we don't know that that old man is dead and buried. When sin and condemnation and shame, when they come knocking, we kind of go, yeah, that is me. And we hide and we distance ourselves from God and we, we push away from our Savior instead of going, I'm going to come out and I'm going to run back. And when I'm running back, my father, he's going to beat me there. He's going to take me up in his arms and say, come here. Because he doesn't see me as the old man. He knows that old man is dead and buried and I'm new in Christ. That's the first reason. The second reason, that old person is dead. So when those sinful patterns pop up their ugly heads, don't treat them like a welcome house guest. Don't treat them like a welcome house guest. You don't set the table for them and welcome them in. Right? You don't say, oh, I remember you. I kind of liked you. Right? We had good times together. So yeah, let me set the table and let's, let's feed that lust a bit longer. Right? Let, let's feed that anger a bit longer. Let's feed that, that selfishness a bit longer, that bitterness a bit longer, that self-pity a bit longer. No, that person is dead. So when they come, and when it shows up again, and when sin and that old man tries to break in, it should be seen as an unwelcome intruder, not a welcomed house guest. So when it comes in, you go, that's not me. That, that's not my family. I'm either running or I'm fighting my sin because that's not who I am anymore. That's not welcome here anymore. We're not eating that meal anymore. Point number three, you think of other believers in the family this way. So you don't, pour, you don't pour guilt and shame and condemnation on them. You remind them that the old them is dead and they're free. What would it look like to be a community like that? You just sinned against me and I just want to remind you, I know it's not you. It's not you anymore. You're free from that. That harm you just did me, I know that's not you, so I love you. Let's, let's get back to Jesus together. What would that look like? And... If we love each other, we will not treat their sin as a welcome house guest in their life either, but seek to help them fight and run to remember the freedom, joy, and hope of their death to sin. And I'll just say this. It's that this, is, this is easy to talk about. Uh, and it's easy for you to think, oh yeah, that'd be great. A community like that, right way up here in the clouds. That'd be awesome. But just right now, <laughs> just think of the person uh, in, in this blood-bought family that you're most frustrated with. You struggle with the most. You kind of, you know, work your way out through the doors, make sure you don't quite run into them. Right? Think about that person and think, man, can I do that for them? <laughs> this is true of me. Can I do that for them? And maybe think about this with your, your spouse <laughs> right? or that really difficult coworker, or your, your kids, like these people in your life that you see over and over and over again and they just keep 
hurting you. They just keep frustrating you. Can you do this in the spots where it's most hard and most real and most day in and most day out? Or do we just want to talk about it up here like it's all flowery and good and we're going to be in this perfect place we want to get in the trenches and go, it's not who I am, it's not who you are, this is messy, let's figure this out together. Let's remind each other of who we are. Kids, when you want to be mad at your mom or your dad or go after your brother or sister, I want to encourage you in that moment to instead think about how Jesus died for your sin. And then, if you trust him, I want you to ask him for help that that part of your sin goes away with the help of Jesus, that you would die to your sin like Jesus died to your sin in that moment. You can stop and pray and get help, kids, to begin to put to death that old person in yourself, even if you're six or seven years old. So we're prone, uh, we're prone to think of morality as a list of things we can't do. It's just how we're prone, right? We want to make our list, check it twice, didn't do that, didn't do that, didn't do that. They did those things, and better than them, right? We do all these comparing things, and we make these lists, and it works for like a week in the first week of January, right? Because morality doesn't work. Morality doesn't change us. We'll never be changed from the outside in. Christian morality always flows from Christian identity. And so our old self died with Christ to sin, and when you are tempted towards that same old pattern or impulse, or you see those patterns or impulses in others, it is a powerful thing to stop and remember, no, I have been crucified with Christ. That man is dead and buried. So church, point number one of our identity of being dead with Christ, in our, dead to our sins in Christ, is lay aside your guilt, lay aside your shame, lay aside the condemnation, begin to walk in the light and treat your sin like an unwelcome intruder and begin to think that way about the others in this family. Point number two, your life is raised and hidden in Christ. Not only have we been united in the death of Jesus, but we've been united in the resurrection life of Jesus. The world can't see the difference on the outside, right? There's no halos or marks on our foreheads or anything glowing about us. But raised with Christ, there is new life that is safe and secure and vibrant with God. We are caught up in the eternal life of the triune God. That's what it's saying here. You're with Christ in God. Right? You're, you're caught up into the, the vibrancy and the perfection of relationship. You're caught up imperfectly on this side of things, but you're caught up into the life of the triune God. You're caught up into the vitality, the morality. You're caught up into all of this in God. That's what it says. 1A says, you have been raised with Christ. And then 3B says, in your life is hidden with Christ in God. So here's how we can figure out what those things mean. We'll go to Colossians 2 and Romans 6. We're going to look at the other side of the coin. So here's Colossians 2, verses 12 to 15. It says, You were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. 
So the situation is we're dead. <laughs> we've got a legal standing against us that says they're dead. We've got no power to change the fact that we're dead. We've got Satan and sin saying we're going to kill them. We're going to enslave them in this sin. We're going to have them be guilty. And then this happens. It says you were buried with him and raised with him by what? By the powerful working of God. In other words, the resurrection of Christ is our resurrection by faith. God forgives all our trespasses, cancels that record of debt that stood against us, and lays it aside by nailing it to the cross. So you want to play that record in your head? Just make sure as you play it in your head, you remember it's nailed to the cross. Right? God's not playing the record anymore. God's not keeping a record of wrongs. He nailed that to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the powers. He triumphed over the enemies of demonic darkness that sought death by enslaving us to our sin and our shame. And he forgave our sin by the blood of Jesus once for all and triumphed over them and said, I'm the Savior. I control how this goes. I will have my people. I will nail their sins to the cross. They're mine. Now I'm going to raise them up from the dead. I'm going to give them new life and they can never be guilty again. That's who you are. That's what God's done. That means sin can't win. Satan can't win. Shame can't win. Suffering can't win because God has already won through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's who we are as Christians. That's our hope. And he brings us into that victory by granting us faith to simply believe in Jesus. What a gift faith is. Church, life now and forevermore is yours. It's yours. You have it now. You will live and reign forever with Jesus. Forever. When life seems too short, time slipping through your fingers, when it feels too broken, it's all crumbling around you, when it all threatens your hope and your joy, remember you have eternal life now and forever in Jesus. That's real. <laughs> it's real today. Listen to how Romans 6 puts it. I'm just going to read the complimentary verses to all I read before. It says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Sin will have no dominion over you because you're not under law. You're under grace. That is a hope-filled passage. Do you hear those phrases is brimming with hope for you this morning? You can walk in newness of life. God has new things for you. The, the old man is dead and gone. You've been raised up and you can actually walk in newness of life. You can live. You can actually live. Or do you hear the, the phrase brought from death to life? So you don't just have dead slavery to sin anymore. You can say, God, 
I'm broken, I'm in process, but I'm presenting myself to you as one who you've raised from the dead, vitality in me because of Jesus, Holy Spirit filling me. I want, I want to worship you. I want to live for you. I want, to, I want to love my wife more. I want to parent my kids with grace. I want to impact my coworkers. I want my neighbors to see the hope of Jesus in me. God, I want that. I'll present myself to you as an instrument of righteousness. Or how about this hope-filled phrase? Sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under the law, you're under grace. No longer striving to try to figure out how to appease God, but knowing I've been saved and now I just want to please Him. I just want my whole life to be about Him. I just want to orient everything around Him. Not only do we have eternal life forever when we're united in the resurrection of Jesus, but we have resurrection power dwelling inside of us by the Holy Spirit to actually begin to live as living people right now. Right? No more walking dead. <laughs> right? No more zombie life. But real life, living for Jesus. Our death with Jesus is a past reality. That old person is dead. Our life in Jesus is our present reality. We can truly live in His power. And just like Jesus lived in glad obedience for the glory of his Father, that's what our union with him in this life now gives us the resurrection power by the Holy Spirit to begin to do. Colossians actually says, you've been filled with all the fullness of God. No idea how we don't just explode. But what I know is that means that there's all sorts of power Holy Spirit power filled with the fullness of God to truly live in accord with God. So kids, let me try to illustrate this for you. Uh, One of the things that always happens at Christmas at some point, uh, normally with parents or gifts given from grandparents, um, is that they give our kids toys uh, that need batteries, right? Problematic for several reasons, but we won't go into that right now. And what, what, what always happens is it never works right away, and there's not batteries, right? Nowhere to be found, right? We never planned that this toy would need the batteries. And so it's just frustrating at first. It's like trying to play with something that doesn't work. (laughs) It, It has no life. It can't do what it's supposed to do. But kids, trusting in Jesus is like the moment you get home and the batteries are finally in. And you can play and you can enjoy it and you can truly live. That's how it is to trust in Jesus. He gives us the power to truly live, to truly enjoy life as it was made to be a life to worship Him and love Him and live for Him and enjoy Him. And so Christian, I don't know, I don't know where you've lost hope to truly live. Maybe you've lost hope that you could find victory over that particular sin. Right? Just, you're just never going to get over it. You're never going to stop. You're never going to stop looking at that on the internet. You're never going to stop yelling. You're never going to stop feeling bitter. You're never going to be able to forgive that person. You're never going to be able to to do uh, that kind of spiritual disciplined life that you hope for. You're never going to be able to, you name it. You've lost hope that you can forgive that sin done against you. You've lost hope that anything in you could ever change. You feel the brokenness has just been too long. It's been too broken. There's been too many failures. But this reality of your life hidden in Christ says two things. Number one, if you're trusting in Jesus, you still have that life. The batteries are still in there, right? Maybe I charge them up a little bit. (laughs) 
but the batteries are still in there. Right? You have life. You have abundant life. Jesus said, I came that they'd have life and life abundantly. And he wasn't talking about stuff or possessions. He was saying in every circumstance, in every season, in every situation, you have me. <laughs> right? You have me and you have rivers of flowing water running out of you, which is my Holy Spirit. I came to give you life abundantly now. So you have life. And life abundantly, not conditioned on circumstances. It's yours. In other words, you can set yourself free from needing to get as much as you can out of this life because you have life. Or look for life in that place or that place or that place because you, you have Jesus. You have it. And this would teach us that you can lean into that life through the Word of God, through prayer, through a community of family of believers, and there's resurrection power in the Holy Spirit that is still able to transform and create new life. This is what the Spirit is always doing, continuing to resurrect and bring to life the parts of us we thought could never change. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's why we need Him. That's why we have Him. Even if, hear it this morning, even if the little shoot, the little bud of new life this morning is just the ability to repent for that sin that you've never been able to really repent for. And when I say turn from it, right? It's just staying there. Like this morning, maybe it's the morning where you just, I'm not doing it. I'm repenting. I'm walking with Jesus. That's dead. I'm alive. I'm turning. I'm not going to turn back. Maybe, maybe that's the newness of life this morning. Just the newness to repent for that sin and walk. And ask for forgiveness. The God that united you in the death of Jesus and now unites you in the life of Jesus is a good Father (laughs) that wants to bring about more true life that is completely caught up in fellowship and worship to Him. Doesn't He want to do that? Why wouldn't He want to do that? And remember who He is from Colossians chapter 1. He does all the things He wants to do. The Spirit wants to bring us deeper into our identity as a son or daughter of the King rather than any other identity. He wants to bring us into an identity that looks to Jesus when shame and condemnation comes and run to our Father. An identity that treats sin as an unwelcome intruder that's not welcome in our house anymore, that hopes in the certainty of eternal life with God in every situation and walks by the power of the Spirit in newness of life, including repentance when we fall. That's what it means to be united in the life of Jesus. Part of what it means. It's a whole lot more. You can read about it in the New Testament. Verse 4, you will appear with Christ. So if we got this kind of past reality, death with Christ, present reality, life in Christ, there's this future reality coming, which is the appearing of Christ. So verse 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is hard to comprehend even as I studied it this week, but to think of the reality that my life is so united, (laughs) is so bound up, is so intertwined, is so hidden, is so kept, is so part of the life of Christ that when Jesus, our life, appears, we'll appear with him. (laughs) Or that when we see him, we'll become like him because we'll see him as he is. Our bodies will be perfectly inhabited and controlled by the Holy Spirit. We'll be in the presence of the Father. Every temptation to sin, every ounce of suffering, gone. 
We'll be with him. We'll be in him. The most alive we've ever been, caught up with Christ, who is our life, to worship and enjoy our Father with his blood-bought family forever. That's what's coming. I mean, just imagine with me every inclination to sin being gone because we're like Jesus. Like, what will it be like, right, to not fight with your family on the way to worship? What's it going to be like to not get frustrated at your boss? What's it going to be like to not, like, be, like, come out of your devotions in the morning and just be angry at that person driving like a fool in front of you? Like, what is it going to be like to have no inclination to sin anymore? Right? Think about the ability to fully surrender with wholehearted devotion to Jesus in every moment, completely free of guilt and shame and condemnation. Like, just fully in, right? It's what we want most in our best moments. Just want to be fully in. And we'll just be like that all the time, and everyone will be. This future life is just echoing in our present life now. Every longing for holiness in this life is a longing for this reality. I just want to be there with him. I just want to be there with him. Every discipline for sin from our loving Father in this life is a kindness meant to pull us into fuller life now and full life forever. Every worship service here where the Spirit encourages and exhorts us to remember we're dead to sin and alive to Jesus is pointing to the moment where we will celebrate the wedding supper of the Lamb as God's people in God's place, enjoying God's presence when the old man never rears his ugly head again. Our identity in Jesus and the future glory coming means that we don't need to hope in self-improvements some better version of ourselves that people can really appreciate in a few years. We don't need to hope in the next administration. We don't need to hope in our investments. We don't need to even hope in other people changing. And we don't need to hope in suffering and circumstances changing. So I hope, I hope what this has felt like to you this morning is freedom. <laughs> this freedom, like, this is what's true. This is what's real. The freedom of fixing the eyes of your heart on your deepest identity being death to sin with Jesus. Old person buried and gone. Life with Jesus. Eternal life now and forever and the power to live for the glory of God. Future glory with Jesus where that old man never peeks his head up again and you or others and you're fully alive to take in all the beauty of Jesus forevermore. And I want you to let that identity be the main thing that fills out every other identity you carry around from past hurt, present struggle, or future anxiety. Just let him fill up everything. Let him push everything else out. Let me pray. So God, we're going we're gonna to sing a reflection song now before we come to eat and drink with you. And so God, I pray that this song would be the prayer of this people. God, that we would lay down everything at your feet. The old man dead, fully alive in you, now and forevermore, looking forward to future glory, Lord, and that you would come and allow us to lay down all our burdens, all our sin, all our shame at the feet of Jesus. So Lord, right now, do work in our hearts. Make this our corporate prayer. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. 
but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.